You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Welcome to episode 60 of the GDPR Weekly Show. And as regular listeners will know, I'd like to start with a shout out to our new listeners. And this week we have new listeners in London, Guildford, Cardiff, Manchester, Portsmouth, Ipswich, Newcastle-upon-Tyne, Nottingham, Leeds, Bristol, Swansea, Birmingham and Milton Keynes, all in the UK. In Ireland, we have new listeners in Leinster, County Cork, County Meath and County Wicklow. In France, we have new listeners in Aln and Paris. In Spain, we have new listeners in Madrid and Barcelona. In Belgium, we have new listeners in the East Flanders region. In the Netherlands, we have new listeners in Amsterdam, Rotterdam and The Hague. In Germany, we have new listeners in Munich. In Denmark, we have new listeners in Copenhagen, Adens and Esberg. In Sweden, we have new listeners in Stockholm. In Norway, we have new listeners in Hordeland and Oslo. In Poland, we have new listeners in Lodz. In Romania, we have new listeners in Bucharest. In Hungary, new listeners in Budapest. In Austria, new listeners in Vienna. In Switzerland, new listeners in Bern, Zurich and Geneva. In Italy, new listeners in Milan and Monza. New listeners in Serbia and Armenia. Big welcome to the new listeners in Armenia. Your first listeners there. Uh, new listeners in Algiers, in Algeria. In Islamabad and in the Punjab in Pakistan. And big les- again, big welcome to our new listeners in the Punjab. A new area for us to have coverage of the Digibel Weekly Show. New listeners in India, in Gujarat. In Bangkok, we have new listeners in Thailand. In the Philippines, we have new listeners in Manila. In Japan, we have new listeners in Kanagawa. In Australia, new listeners in Adelaide, Melbourne and Perth. In Brazil, new listeners in Sao Paulo. In Panama, new listeners in Panama City. In Jamaica, new listeners in Kingston. In Canada, new listeners in Quebec. And finally, in the USA this week, we have new listeners in New York, San Francisco, Boston, San Diego, Dallas, Los Angeles, Cleveland, Atlanta, Sacramento, Kalamazoo, Jacksonville, Austin, Grand Rapids, Fargo, Denver, Chicago, Rochester, Austin, Washington, D.C., Minneapolis, Seattle, Salisbury, and Cincinnati. So a big welcome to all of our new listeners right around the world. Really appreciate you taking 30 minutes out of your week to catch up on the latest news in the world of GDPR. And of course a big shout out to our over 10,000 regular listeners who tune in every week to catch up on the latest GDPR information. I hope you find the program useful and entertaining and that you keep doing that week after week. And please do tell your colleagues and friends about the program. The more people we get listening, then obviously the better. And uh, also, if you have any feedback on the program, as always, you can send me an email to podcasts at insurety.co.uk. That's E-N-S-U-R-E-T-Y.co.uk. Or go to the podcast page on our website at www.insurety.co.uk forward slash podcasts. And there you'll find all the information, not just on how to contact me, but also on all the previous episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show, so you can catch up on any episodes that you've missed. I really do appreciate your feedback, and whilst I don't have time to reply to every single feedback message that I receive, 
I do read them all, and it's great to have your feedback. So if you've any feedback on the show, or any ideas for future articles, or people you'd like to see me interview on the show, then please do just drop me an email to podcast.nsholdy.co.uk, and I'll do my best to include them in future episodes of the programme. So, coming up in just a few moments, I'll be telling you what's coming up in this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Check us out on Facebook. So, coming up in this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show, we have news of a high court judgment which has opened the way for a group action against British Airways following its well-publicised data breach. We then have news from Bolton NHS Foundation Trust of a data breach concerning the data of children transferring from primary to secondary school. We then have news of a potentially large data breach at Zendesk. We then have a article on a appeal court ruling which has gone against Google in their data harvesting from users of Apple iPhones. We then have a look at is Coventry Council being overzealous in its redaction of planning application documents and is that hindering the ability of people to work with those planning applications. We then have news of Facebook being fined for a Turkish data breach. And finally for this episode we have an article on the CJEU ruling which could have radical effects on the cookie consent policies of websites both inside and outside the EU. So it's well worth listening to that article to find how this ruling from the CJEU might affect your website. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Regular listeners will know that we mentioned in the last few episodes about British Airways and their setting up of a website for people to be able to claim compensation if they believe they've been affected by the data breach, but also controversially that British Airways had limited the time span that people had to make a claim for uh, damages to just 17 weeks. Well, British Airways suffered a bit of a blow this week when half a million British Airways customers have been given to go ahead to sue the airline over its cybersecurity breach. On Friday this week, a high court judge granted a group litigation order, paving the way for a mass legal action. As regular listeners will know, some half a million British Airways customers were potentially affected by a series of breaches between April and September 2018 after an investigation by the ICO, the Information Commissioner's Office. Hackers gained access via the BA website and mobile app to personal information including card details, addresses, email addresses and travel arrangements. Some passengers were taken to a fake website from which their data was harvested. Many of the customers have since been forced to change their bank accounts or credit cards, but this new group litigation order means that a firm of barristers can bring a order against British Airways on behalf of all of these half a million customers regardless whether the customers actually make an individual claim via the British Airways website within that 17-week time period. Now, our personal advice is that you still go ahead and make a claim via the website if you believe that you have been affected by the BA data breach, and if you go back to 
the last couple of episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show, you'll be able to find full details of the website and where to access it. But this granting of a group litigation order really is a step change in the way that compensation for data breaches has been handled in the UK. And so we will continue to watch this case with interest. It's likely to be a few months now before the case actually becomes to the High Court. Or, of course, it may be that British Airways seek to appeal this judgment. We wait and see. But we will keep you updated in future episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. A data breach by... Bolton NHS Foundation Trust has been notified to the ICO this week. The data breach involved the personal data of around 425 children and specifically was their children's names, the dates of birth and addresses. We should add that the ICO has been informed of the data breach by the Bolton NHS Foundation Trust in view of the fact that it is sensitive data relating to children which has been breached in this case and therefore it is appropriate for the ICO to investigate. The data breach took place when data was transferred from the school nursing service transferring records of children moving from primary school to secondary school. So it's only affecting those people who have moved from a primary store in Bolton to a secondary store this year. What normally happens is to make sure the school nursing care continues efficiently, the hospital trust receives a document listing pupils in each class, but, crucially, the document does not include any house information. Speaking on behalf of Bolton NHS Foundation Trust, their medical director, Francis Andrews, said that the trust is taking the data breach very seriously and apologised for the error. He said, regretfully, during the transfer of records this year, a list of 425 pupil names, dates of birth, address and schools has been misplaced. The records do not include any house information. He went on to say that, however, as part of our commitment to transparency and the need to protect confidentiality, we have reported the data breach to the Information Commissioner and launched an internal investigation. We have also written to the parents and guardians of the young people named on the list to explain what has happened. He continued by saying, While it is of no consolation to those affected, it is good that our staff felt that they could follow our processes and report the loss so that we could take action. We offer everyone affected our sincere apologies. We know that this isn't the standard care people expect of us and want to reassure people that we are taking it very seriously. For Bolton Learning Alliance, their chair, Paul Hodgkinson, said that head teachers take the issue very seriously but would not come out further until details of the data breach had been revealed following the internal investigation. For the ICO, a spokesman said all organisations processing personal data should do so safely and securely. Particular care needs to be taken when processing the personal data of children, and data protection law emphasises that they need specific protection. When an organisation makes a personal data breach report to the ICO, we will assess the information provided. So just to restress that Bolton NHS Foundation Trust have written directly to everyone affected and the schools concerned have been notified. So if you've not received a notification either from your school or from the Bolton NHS Foundation Trust and you are living in Bolton and your children have moved this year to a secondary school, you can assume that your children's data has not been affected 
in this data breach. It's obviously going to take a little while for Bolton NHS Foundation Trusts and the ICO to investigate this breach, but as soon as we receive an update, we will bring it to you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Zendesk, a supplier of a customer support desk system with customers including Airbnb, Slack, Uber, Shopify, Tesco and OpenTable amongst others has suffered a data breach or rather has become aware of a data breach this week and has announced details. It announced today that the data breach is believed to date back to November 2016 the company said that a hacker had accessed the personal information of approximately 10,000 Zendesk users that had registered Zendesk support and chat accounts. Zendesk said it discovered the breach last week, on September the 24th, nearly three years after the breach took place. The company said they had learned of the incident from a third party. Now, of course, GDPR says that penalties still apply for breaches which occurred before GDPR came into force, which this one did, because the important date is not the date that the data breach took place, but the date on which the organisation or company first becomes aware of the data breach. Now, in this case, to better understand what happened, it's worth making a few distinctions. Zendesk customers represent companies that contract Zendesk and embed Zendesk customer chat and support ticketing systems into their websites. Zendesk agents are the employees of these companies who manage tickets and answer chats from end users who are the customers of the contracting companies. So if we took Uber as an example, then the Zendesk agents are the employees of Uber who are managing the Uber help desk, and the customers are customers of Uber. For this particular breach, Zendesk said the hacker accessed information from all categories of Zendesk users, including customers, agents and end users alike, including such data as email addresses, names and phone numbers of agents and end users of certain Zendesk products, potentially up to November 2016, agent and end user passwords that were hashed and sorted, potentially up to November 2016, transport layer security, that's TLS, encryption keys provided to Zendesk by customers, and configuration settings of apps installed from the Zendesk app marketplace or private apps. This may include integration keys used by those apps to authenticate against third-party services. Zendesk said that it had found no evidence so far that hackers had ever used the agent and end-user passwords since the breach. Of the 10,000 passwords hacked, Zendesk said that 700 belonged to customers' accounts. Zendesk said that they will begin notifying all impacted users via email starting tomorrow. Zendesk said it also plans to reset users' passwords for all those users that registered before November 1st, 2016. So we wait and see whether there's any update on this from Zendesk or indeed from the ICO uh, in the next few weeks. And if there is, we will of course bring it to you as soon as we can on the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. If you owned or used a Apple iPhone back in 2011 or 2012, you could potentially be in line for a payout of up to £750. 
It's alleged that Google illegally harvested the data of iPhone users in 2011 and 2012. And potentially, of course, this could affect millions of iPhone users and be a very big penalty to Google. A mass legal action has been brought by consumer champion Richard Lloyd. His initial action was turned down in the High Court, but this week the action has been given the go-ahead by the Court of Appeal. The case could be worth as much as £3.2 billion and could see more than 4 million iPhone users handed £750 in compensation. However, we would add a note of caution, don't go spend that £750 just yet because there's every chance that Google will take this case to the Supreme Court for an ultimate judgment in whether they do have a case to answer or not. But back to the appeal court ruling, and speaking after the ruling, Mr Lloyd said, Today's judgment sends a very clear message to Google and other large tech companies, you are not above the law. Google can be held to account in this country for misusing people's personal data, and groups of consumers can together ask the courts for redress when firms profit unlawfully from repeated and widespread violations of data protection rights. We will take this fight against Google all the way, Mr Lloyd said. Mr Lloyd is a former WITCH director and set up the campaign group Google You Owe Us, which is behind the legal action. The group says that its aim is to win at least £1 billion in compensation, which would be the awarded to around 4.4 million iPhone users in the UK. The allegations claim that Google bypassed privacy settings on iPhones between August 2011 and February 2012 in order to harvest users' data and divide them into groups for advertisers. Mr Lloyd says that browser-generated information was collected to enable people to be grouped by their sexuality, race, politics, health, opinions and social class. Information about shopping habits, finances and location is also alleged to have been collected for the benefit of advertisers. Advertisers could then use these groups when deciding on demographics to market their products to. Speaking on behalf of Mr Lloyd, his lawyers told the High Court in May 2018 that data was gathered through clandestine tracking and collation of information based on how users searched using the Safari browser. They also revealed that the breach was exposed by a PhD researcher in 2012 and that Google has already paid £32.1 million in compensation settling claims over the issue. Google has claimed that this kind of representative action being brought against them by Mr Lloyd on behalf of others should not be allowed to go ahead. They also claim there's no evidence that the information they gained from Safari data harvesting was given to third parties. The company says it will seek to appeal a decision to allow the legal action to go ahead at the Supreme Court. A spokesman for Google said, Protecting the privacy and security of our users has always been our number one priority. This case relates to events that took place nearly a decade ago and that we addressed at the time. We believe the case has no merit and should be dismissed. So we'll keep an eye on that case. It might obviously take a few months to get to the Supreme Court, especially if the Supreme Court gets involved in further Brexit action. But once we have news of the Supreme Court hearing, we will, of course, bring it to you in a relevant episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. In a situation which I suspect most local authorities and planning authorities across the UK will watch with interest 
is a dispute going on at the moment at Coventry Council over how much information on a planning application form can be redacted before the form is put onto the relevant planning authority website where of course it can be viewed by members of the public. Many authorities have taken the not unreasonable line of redacting any signatures on documents before they are put onto the website. But Coventry Council has gone a stage further and has actually redacted any names and addresses of people and companies submitting planning application forms. And this has caused some controversy because people objecting to those planning applications say that they find it hard to get more information because they don't know who it is who's making the planning application. For their part, Coventry Council said its approach is in accordance with the GDPR rules Although regulators at the ICO, as well as the Planning Advisory Service, both say it's not necessary and those details can be made public. And indeed, we have ourselves given advice to a number of local authorities and we've performed their GDPR training or we've done a GDPR audit. And incidentally, of course, we continue to offer those services to local authorities. So if you are a local authority and you'd like our advice, on your GDPR strategy or indeed whether you'd like us to carry out GDPR audit then please do get in touch with us by sending an email to podcast.insurity.co.uk and one of our team will get back in touch with you to arrange a meeting to discuss how we might work together. But anyway, back to the case in hand. Coventry Council have taken what in our view is a very heavy-handed approach and in the section of the planning application document where it shows absence details, they've basically redacted the whole section. So it's impossible for members of the public or any interested observer or indeed any statutory consultee to view the details of who it is who's making the planning application. For their part in Coventry, their Conservative councillor, Tim Mayer, has called for an internal review into this. He says... It's not right, as we know GDPR means you do not have to redact the applicant details. I don't know why they're doing it. They seem to be saying they're doing it for GDPR reasons, but that is not correct. We would like to see a proper investigation as to why we are doing it. If it's not correct, then the planning authority needs to share that information. It's not transparent, and we'd like to see them investigate it properly and keep all the information in so it is transparent to the public. For their part, the City Council have said applicants' details are redacted on planning applications in accordance with GDPR, and then it was their opinion that not doing so would be a breach of GDPR. A spokesman added, in this respect, the Council treats its responsibilities around how it manages and processes personal data extremely seriously. The Planning Act only requires applicants' details to be published for certificates of lawfulness, therefore there is no specific requirement for a Council to publish such details on other applications. Without such a legal basis for processing personal data, it is the Council's opinion that it would represent a breach of GDPR to publish this information. Well, as I say, we personally would challenge that judgment because there are many, as we know, reasons why data may need to be made available under GDPR. Not just one. You can't just say, well, because it fails that check, we're not going to run all the other checks to say whether we should display the information or not. And indeed, guidance from both the ICO and the PAS, the Planning Advisory Service, 
is that publishing personal data is necessary for the exercise of planning functions. And the ICO said that GDPR does not include a blanket approach. We contacted the ICO and a spokesman said GDPR does not prevent planning authorities from publishing personal data about planning applications. Planning authorities may be required to make certain information available to the public under planning legislation, but they must always be mindful of their data protection obligations in doing so. Even if some details must be made public, that would not necessarily justify a blanket publishing of applications in entirety on the internet, especially if the application contains sensitive information about the applicant's house, for example. Now, we would fully agree with that, but that's not the issue here. The issue is here that Coventry City Council are redacting all of the information on the planning um, application form. All, all the personal data on the form is being redacted, which to us seems a bit overkill. So we'd be interested to know, because we work with a lot of local authorities, but obviously there's also many, many local authorities we don't currently work with, have a check with your planning department on what they redact. And please do let us know. Drop us an email to podcast.insurity.co.uk and let us know just what your local planning authority is redacting on the application form. And we'll bring you the results of that in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. It feels like no episode of the GDPR Weekly Show would be complete without a mention of Facebook somewhere within the programme. And this week's no different. Um, This week on Thursday, Facebook was fined $281,000 US dollars for a data breach that exposed the personal information of hundreds of thousands of Facebook users in Turkey. Facebook exposed the name, gender, birthday, relationship status, educational background, religion, hometown, personal data and location information of 280,959 users, said the Personal Data Protection Authority, Turkey's watchdog agency for data privacy. The Personal Data Protection Agency said Facebook had sent the institution on October 14, 2018 by email about the data breach caused by the error, which occurred as a result of the interaction with one of the features of the social networking site. The company noted that written information would be submitted to the Personal Data Protection Board in the following week, and the board decided to investigate into the case. As a result of the review, the board determined that the data breach was caused by an error in the interaction of three different features of the Facebook system, namely, see through the eyes of someone else, the birthday celebrator, and the video uploader. And, of course, this case has been decided by the Turkey State Protection Authority because Turkey sits outside of the European Union. So this action at Facebook is in addition to any action which the Irish ICO is considering against Facebook, which we know they're working on a number of cases against Facebook at the moment. But doubtless the Irish ICO will be taking into account this ruling from the Turkish Data Protection Authority when it comes to formulating its final report into data breaches at Facebook. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. The Court of Justice of the European Union, the highest court within the EU, the CJEU, 
has made a ruling this week with far-reaching consequences for digital advertisers and media owners. The ruling says that pre-ticked forms for cookies on websites have been ruled incapable of legally gathering consent to track consumers under GDPR and indeed under the new e-privacy directive. So what this ruling essentially is saying is that you, instead of just having a bar across the bottom of your website, as many websites do now when you go onto them first time, saying this site uses cookies, da 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 and the button just saying click to accept or whatever, and also that people can then, or people can go into detailed settings and set individual uh, companies that they wish to receive cookies for, or indeed that, uh, they can just click away from that banner and carry on using the website anyway. Um, what this new ruling is saying is that you're also going to have to have a button saying refuse to accept all cookies. The ruling comes weeks after a tense conference where the consent framework was questioned alongside the broader legality of programmatic advertising as real-time bidding. This issue having boiled over during a legal case against lottery site Planet 49 which requests players to consent to pre-ticked cookies to access its game. Pre-ticked cookie boxes, which are favoured by countless websites, especially after the introduction of GDPR, do not legally gather consent from the court. Instead, users must actively opt in to have each company, which bear in mind for some websites could be in their hundreds, follow them across the web. The German Federation of Consumer Organisations challenged the lottery, German courts then bumped the ruling up to the Court of Justice to interpret EU law. And of course, because this has been decided in CJEU, there is no appeal mechanism. There's nowhere for this now to go. The judgment passed on the 1st of October came after a case that has lasted more than a year. The judgment reads, The court decides that the consent which a website user must give to the storage of and access to cookies on his or her equipment is not validly constituted by way of a pre-checked checkbox which that user must deselect to refuse his or her consent. The ruling went on to say that decision is unaffected by whether or not the information stored or accessed on the user's equipment is personal data. EU law aims to protect the user from any interference with his or her private life, in particular from the risk that hidden identifiers and other similar devices enter those users' terminals' equipment without their knowledge. The user interface did not allow clear access to analysed cookie partners, nor did it inform users that third-party cookies may have access or for how long the court found. And finally, consent was manufactured to provide access to a gambling game, this is in the case of Planet 49, that bursts ethical, if not legal, concerns about how advertisers could manufacture consent in the future. Roly Byrne from the Freewall Solution, who are helping publishers monetize audience data, said, if you can no longer auto-opt people in, then ad tech is going to have a real problem, because consumers do not have a clue who 99% of the 7,040 ad tech vendors actually are. After all, most people think Adobe makes PDFs, so no one will actively opt into companies they've never heard of. And this will end up shining a light on how consent is achieved in the app industry as a whole. He went on to say that this is only going to give further ammunition to the ICO already highlighted their concerns regarding consent in their update report into ad tech and real-time bidding. However, there are some who see this as a good opportunity for publishers as consumers know who they are and will opt in. There's also an opportunity for companies like Resonance 
who believed explicit consumer consent was going to be the conclusion from GDPR when they were developing their product. Ironically, the press release ruling page does itself have what is now an illegal cookie bar with pre-ticked consent boxes. So it appears that the web user experience will be further eroded in the name of user privacy with more strident cookie checks being implemented. On the other hand, web users may be dissuaded from opting out of cookies previously due to the sheer length of time it takes to untip pre-selected boxes. So we suspect this is going to run and run. I can't see that this is instantly going to lead to every website everywhere changes cookie bar, especially given that a good number of websites don't even have a cookie bar at the moment, even though they should. So we will continue to keep a watching brief on this. We will bring you updates as we get them. And if you have any comments or you have any thoughts yourself on uh, the use of cookies for advertising and for what GDPR regards as, and I put in quotes, non-essential functions, then please do let us know. Send us an email to podcast.insurity.co.uk and we'll maybe look at collating your comments into an article in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. So that brings us to the end of this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. I hope you found it useful. I hope you found it entertaining. Please do let me know. Let me have your feedback by sending an email to podcast.insurity.co.uk. You can find out more about us and Insurity at www.insurity.co.uk. And I look forward to speaking to you again, same time, same place, next week. Have a good week, everybody, and remember, keep your data safe. Check us out on Facebook. The GDPR Weekly Show is an Insurity production. Follow us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash insurity.